All right, what's up, everybody? This is the Other Life Podcast. I am Justin Murphy. What's going on? This is the first solo live show I've done in a little while. Super busy on amazing stuff. A lot of big news. Uh, Super excited, actually, to share with you all what's been going on here in Austin. I have my own podcast studio, the Other Life Podcast Studio for in-person video podcast. It's here. It's legit. It's actually already here. I just filmed the very first one with uh, James Polos, who you might know from Twitter, or he's an author. He's written a couple books. He wrote a book about Tocqueville. He also is one of the founders of the American Mind magazine, which you might be familiar with on the internet. Cool dude all around. He was in Austin. So I said, hey, want to be want to be my first victim coming to the studio. <clears throat> so that'll drop probably in a week or two. Sometime in the next three weeks, we have a bit of a backlog. One of my goals here in Austin was to eventually finagle a way to have a private podcast studio where I could do legit multi-camera video podcasts with cool people. So I'm actually pleasantly surprised to say how quickly I was able to figure that out. Shout out to the guys at Assembly Capital. They're some of the OG Urbit people in Austin and cool dudes all around. And yeah, they fuck with me. I fuck with them. So they have some extra room in their office. And I suggested, I was like, I could make good use of this room. What do you think about that? And they were game. So shout out to them. And uh, yeah, so 2022 is going to be, I think, a big year for the podcast. You'll see starting in a week or two, some video podcasts coming out on this channel with me and people in a nice little room of our own. So stay tuned for that. Super pumped. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of things because like I said, there's a ton going on in the other life community. And also I've been writing a ton. So I've really been focusing on the newsletter recently. And so I have all these writings and ideas accumulated. I'll give you a nice little synopsis here for your listening pleasure. So yeah, we're going to talk about angelicism. Angelicism is a very interesting, very creative, and I would say somewhat buzzy blog that has emerged, a newsletter that has emerged in the past year. They, the way I think about it or the way that I read them is it's a kind of auto detonation of academic theory. So it's extremely schizoid to the point of an almost kind of surrealist vibe, extreme symbological scatology (laughs) at times. That's perhaps speaking too strongly. There are really interesting ideas in there for sure, but it's also a lot of chaos, purposely cultivated symbolic chaos, let's call it. I think that's a fair way to put it. So the person is academically trained, you can tell, and I actually do know the person a little bit from back in the day before they were angelicism. I will not blow up his or her spot since it's obviously a pseudonymous project. But yeah, clearly you can tell from reading them that they're academically trained. And I think I make the argument in one of my recent newsletters that this is really the kind of unconscious or subliminal underwriting of of the whole project. It seems very schizoid. It seems very anti-establishment. But if you tried to do the Angelicism newsletter without the prestigious academic signifiers, if it wasn't someone who was competently trained in those signifiers, I think it would fall flat to a lot of people. And so this is the, to most people, I don't think it would have the buzz. I don't think it would, ha- it would have the traction that it has. And this doesn't in any way make it invalid or something. It's just, I read this newsletter about that as the crux of, of my review, because it's, it's just important. And it kind of changes how you see the stakes and, and how you interpret it. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. I'll break down some of what angelicism is all about in my review and some of the key ideas there. That piece actually got a lot of traction. A lot of people shared it. It was polarizing. Like my buddy Barrett Abner from the Contain podcast, who you might remember from previous episodes, he didn't like it. He came out swinging pretty hard on Twitter. Yeah, he, it's all good, but he definitely had some words for me, which is fine. But a lot of people actually, I was surprised. A lot of people really liked it. A lot, I guess a lot, I guess it hit a nerve. I guess a lot of people see this new trend or this new fashion right now of just like purposely skitzed out, truly at, at times incomprehensible skitzed out writing is fashionable with a certain set. So I get, I didn't even know how many people knew about it or whatever, or if people cared or if people agreed with me, but I had no idea that this would hit. But a lot of people actually replied to me on the down low and they were like, 
Yo, I totally agree with you. Thanks for writing this. I was surprised. I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't see it as this kind of uh, crusade or, or anything. It was just, it was actually because Angelicism mentioned me a couple times and I was grateful for their attention. So I, and, and I do find what they're doing to be noteworthy. It's worth paying attention to and thinking critically about. It was ultimately a sign of respect that I wrote about Angelicism. It was much more a sign of respect than uh, an attack or anything like that. Even if I think that approach is, is highly limited in the long run. I applaud anyone doing interesting stuff like that. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about some cool things going on in the community. We have a lot of events coming up, like free stuff, cool stuff. And we have some stuff coming up in Austin. If you, if anyone wants to come hang, hang out in Austin and the Urbic group is like totally kicking off. Uh, that's been a really interesting initiative. And I, I want to share some report backs on what's going on in the Urbic group, how we're building out the Urbic group. For people who make valuable contributions in the Urbic group, I'm going to basically retroactively pay people. I'm going to give small gifts of crypto to uh, people who make valuable contributions in the Urbic group. And I'm going to share those, that content into the newsletter. So we're going to be building this like pretty radical, I think, circuit between the Urbic group, which is community owned in the sense that everyone owns their own data. And I'm going to be decentralizing ownership of the community itself to members of the community, mostly through the the community ERC 20 token that we have the the, the life token, which is not a speculative asset. It's just a kind of ledger of contributions made to the community. And I will use it to index or represent proportionate shares, if you will, of ownership over the community, not in a kind of financial sense, but in a way that will over time, we will be able to actually program it such that the Urbit real estate that the group runs on will and should be owned by the holders of the life token. So that's the, the vision. And I think we're super early days for all of this. It's all very it's all very new. It's incredibly new, but uh, the only way to figure it out figure it out is to tinker and to play around with it. So I'm just thinking through what we're going to do with all of that. So anyway, so that's really kicking off. Like people are really writing in the group now. We have like more than a thousand people. I want to talk about Milady. I don't know how many of you know about the Milady Maker Crew, the Romelia Corporation. If you listen to one of the podcasts I did with at the Urban Assembly, she was repping Milady. They're a very strange, but not I would say technically, literally. They are a the only accelerationist kind of NFT art phenomenon happening right now. It's the only it's the only kind of digital art collective that's relevant on the internet right now that is explicitly accelerationist in the kind of Landian sense. And yeah, I have to I have to pay attention to that and be interested in that. So I'll give you some of my takes on Milady. So you can consider this podcast just a little personal update with a lot of different takes and, and some stuff from my writing. So I want to start with, let's just do some housekeeping on events. But actually, before I do that, if you're not subscribed to the Other Life newsletter, go and subscribe to the Other Life newsletter right now. Just go to otherlife.co, that's otherlife.co, and subscribe to the newsletter. That's basically the center of everything that I'm doing. All the events that are coming out, all the podcasts that are coming out, all of my best work is published through the Other Life newsletter, you definitely want to subscribe to the newsletter at otherlife.co. And the other thing I want to share with you by way of just news and housekeeping is we are going to run the second cohort of the IndieThinkers.org accelerator on April. It'll start on April 25th. So if you're working on independent intellectual work of any kind, if you're a writer, if you're interested in philosophy or social science or anything that involves you doing long-term deep thinking and creative work, then you might be a good fit for the Indie Thinkers program. For those of you who don't know, I've been building this out for more than two years now. We've tried different methods. We've tried different models, but we basically have an insanely cool community of independent intellectual types of people. People look down on this word intellectual. People think it's pretentious or whatever, but I say, fuck you. It's actually, I think of it as a technical term. There are people in this world who are intellectuals. There are people who are not. It's it's not like bragging. It's not saying you're smart. It's just saying you are you are cursed with the bug of needing to think like crazy about everything. And it, it's a bad thing as well as a good thing. It's neither good nor bad, but it is a distinct type of person. And if it is the type of person who just feels called to read and write and try to make some kind of dent in the world through thinking and through writing and, and through honest, authentic, creative expression of some kind. That is what sets true intellectuals apart from the rest of people. And it's not an elitist thing. It's not like, a, oh, I'm so smart thing. It's just, it's a type of person. And you know what? Frankly, I'm proud to try to represent it because 
people are I don't know. We actually live in a in a fairly anti-intellectual culture where if if you're just an unabashedly intellectual type, you have to candy coat it. You have to act like you're not. You have to act like a normal person because you're called pretentious otherwise. Yeah, well, fuck you, man. If all you really care about is reading and writing and trying to make a dent in how the world thinks, then you're an intellectual and you are different from other people. And we need different structures and communities that really understand that and facilitate that and foster that. So that's what Indie Thinkers is all about, basically. So yeah, you can enroll or sign up to learn more at IndieThinkers.org. This will be the second cohort that we're doing now. It'll be starting on April 25th. We just finished the first one and it was awesome. If you want to know why I've been writing so much the past few weeks, it's because I do the cohorts as well. I'm, I'm, I'm a member as well as a leader of them or the facilitator, if you will. And we do a ton of work. It's all about enabling people to do way more work, way more effectively. And so I do them. And so, yeah, if you've been wondering how I've been publishing so much in the past few weeks, it's because I do the cohort. So if you want to, yeah, significantly accelerate your independent projects, just think, give it a look, think about it and let me know if you have any questions. You could just email me. I could also, we could jump on a private call if you want, whatever. And so yeah, that'll start, that'll kick off on April 25th and you can enroll at IndieThinkers.org. I put a link in the show notes. And then finally, if you happen to be in Austin, we or nearby or can get here, we're gonna be doing a Other Life Times Urbit Meetup. The Urbit Austin Meetup group is gonna, we're joining forces with them and I'm publicizing it through the newsletter and through the podcast here. We're going to do a joint little social mixer, not this Saturday, like tomorrow, but the following Saturday of the 9th in the evening. So I suspect it's going to be pretty big because the Urbit meetup is already fairly big. Like when they're, when the Urbit meetup people do the Urbit meetups once a month or so, usually about 20 to 30 people come out, which is very healthy. It's good. Sometimes even more. And then, but this is the first time that we're doing the other life slash Urbit collab. And obviously I have a pretty big and growing audience. So I think I just put out the word, I put out the event invite yesterday in the newsletter. And I think we already have 20 RSVPs in 20 in, in 24 hours. So I think it's gonna, it, it could end up being pretty big and it could actually end up being like big enough that it's gonna be a problem. I'm gonna have to find a venue and I'm a little stressed about it. But uh, anyway, that is, yeah, you just have to drop an RSVP. I forgot to put that in the show notes here, but I'll do that, I'll do that when I'm done with this. And uh, yeah, if just drop your email and, and you're welcome to come through if you wanna, Anyone who follows the Other Life newsletter, whether you're into Urbit or not, just Other Life people, and then there will be Urbit people. But it's a super cool scene. So yeah, if you're in Austin, I'd love to see you on April 9th, Saturday evening. All right, so that's enough by way of introduction and housekeeping and all of that. Let's talk a little bit about contemporary theory culture and this kind of new internet wave. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast, that there is a massive proliferation of independent intellectual life outside of institutions. And obviously I'm super pumped on that. I support anyone who's doing anything at all interesting and independent outside of institutions and on the internet and whoever it is, if it's, if it's interesting and, and in any way, honestly, I, I give that a ton of, so I'm not like here to shoot anyone down whatsoever. I think the angelicism project is cool. I just think it's a, actually a really interesting case study. I think it's something that's really worth um, paying some attention to. So I want to go over what it is, what it's all about, why it's interesting, and also what I think it says about our culture and some of the limitations of contemporary kind of independent intellectual life and the, the current fashions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen here and I'm going to just show you my recent essay and we'll just go through it. This is on otherlife.co. This went out a couple last week to, to all the subscribers. And so what the, the first thing that I think you should be aware of, if all of this is like totally confusing to you, you've never even heard of what the frick is angelicism. It's a really interesting newsletter, as I said before. It is a real kind of explosion of academic theory. What they're doing is incredibly unique and truly wild. Let's take a quick look at it, shall we? I'll show you the URL. I'll, there's a link in my essay, but the URL is cached. Cobra Z house .com. I'm not sure how, how you pronounce that. It's a, the aesthetic that's popular is like all these crazy symbols and the essays on angelicism are things like, here's the headline you see when you first go to the Substack. somebody please Columbine the entire drunken canal editorial staff. And then it's stuff like we may soon never be here again in all caps. 
There's Notes on God, The Vibe Shift, Water, and Ukraine. There's another Somebody Please Columbine, the entire The Cut editorial staff. So there's a lot of exhortations to Columbine people reading notes on Kanye West and mathematics. It's like stream of consciousness style social theory, but on meth and totally skitzed out. Okay, so you get where I'm going. You probably have seen this kind of thing before. It's a bit it's a bit of a fashion. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. I just mean that in the sense of this is wet brain as well. I like the wet brain people. Got to meet them over Urban Assembly. Totally like them. They're hilarious. But look, folks, all I'm really here to say, and this is I think why the, this essay of mine, this review of Angelus's hit a nerve with a lot of people for good and for bad, is that there are limitations to schizophrenia, okay? Read Dillas and Guattari. They're as uh, skeptical and concerned and cautious about schizophrenia as they sometimes can be accused of glorifying it. And it's not hard to understand the trade-offs here. So schizophrenia is in, or let's say like schizotypal traits. Schizotypal refers to schized out, but not quite like clinical schizophrenia. So schizotypal attitudes and behaviors are very good at bringing with them creativity, smash through different boundaries and, and, and borders. And there's a lot of, yeah, just really creative possibilities that emerge with the, the schizotypal. But there are drawbacks too, and this is just basic understanding of what skiz even means. The biggest difference is, or the biggest problem or drawback is that a little too much schizophrenia, a little, if you make your writing a little too skitzed out, you could start to get dumb and you could start to make no sense. And you could start to get also things like paranoid and you could start to see things that are not there. Okay. This is not rocket science. Everyone knows this when you think about it. And so really one way to understand my essay is really, to, I was just coming out and saying, Hey, this is stuff is really interesting, but personally. I get tired of it pretty quickly because call me old fashioned, but I do like to make sense out of things. I feel like what is really radical and significant and, and attractive about uh, theory writing is to illuminate things that were not illuminated before. And especially when it comes to the independent creative, you know, avenues that are available to us through the internet, I make the argument in my essay that it's much more exciting and attractive to me to actually try to help people see real things that have real practical traction. And this is not necessarily reducing the intellectual vocation to some kind of petty market logic or something like that. I'm not saying you have to commoditize intellectual work. I'm just saying that there is so much that is obscure and opaque that can be illuminated in a way that's clear and direct. And that actually empowers tons of people to, to fundamentally change what they're doing and to create new systems, create new lives, create new worlds, create new countries. There's just so much low hanging fruit when it comes to being clear and direct to rely on Apollo, if you will, rather than Dionysus. That to me, all of the most exciting and powerful low hanging fruit really is on the side of Apollo. And the Dionysus stuff, this Dionysian kind of purposeful maxed out skits approach to thinking and writing, it is fun and it is sexy and it's, it's thrilling and there is a place for it, no doubt. But personally, I just get bored of it pretty quickly. Like I can't, I, I don't really see too much of value other than the kind of cultural shock that it introduces, which is valuable, just like Dada, just like surrealism. Someone has to do that stuff every so often for sure. And, and I applaud Angelicism for doing it. It's just I get a little, I'm kind of like, okay, it, it runs out of steam for me pretty quickly. That's all. I was just basically making that argument. And then I went on to expand the argument and point out that very interestingly, when you really reflect on it, this style of kind of post-academic, but still academic thinking and writing, I think is actually positioned uncomfortably in a certain political economy that, that people don't really want to talk about, which is very similar to the political economy of radical left kind of para-academic writing, the kind of stuff that's popular with, let's say, Verso or what have you. One of the big pitfalls of a lot of academically trained para-academic radical left-wing thought in the past couple of decades is that it's so opposed to actually trying to help people <laughs> because that's seen as that's seen as apologia for for capitalism that's seen as ideology you're just basically trying to tell people to pull themselves up by the by their bootstraps how dare you imply that in that world in that tradition 
the idea is that all you should really do is try to critique capitalism as pointedly as possible. Don't give any advice or suggestions or try to come up with practical ways out or practical ways to escape the system or the capitalist machine. But just basically look into the heart of capitalism's evil as directly as you can. And that itself is supposed to be seen as interesting, illuminating, and also somehow emancipatory. This is somehow seen as contributing to the revolutionary cause. And this produces a lot of unfortunate, very unfortunate tendencies and patterns that, that become habitual. The entire kind of academic, but even post-academic or para-academic radical left. And it's very much what Nick Land called transcendental miserabilism in a famous essay in Fanged Noumena. And basically, I think that in a weird way, angelicism remains locked into this orbit, if you will. Because one of the things that angelicism said about my writing is that I'm biased in a positive direction, that because I'm interested in escape paths and exit routes, and I'm interested in how myself and others and all of us together can actually engineer new circuits of thinking and writing and producing and even monetizing in novel ways that escape the clutches of the state and of big capital. That to be interested in this kind of thing so practically and optimistically, it's I'm just selling bourgeois commodities. I'm just a self-help guru or something in the extreme case. That's where that would lead to basically, I think, is the idea. And there's there's definitely some some something to be concerned about there, no doubt. Yeah, you can easily, if you're just peddling positivity and optimism on the internet and telling people how they can improve their lives or whatever, you can very easily descend to the most kind of empty, silly self-help commodity for sure. So if that's all, if that's his only point or his or her only point, then fair, fair enough. But I think that's just something to be on guard against. It's not like a intrinsically doomed aspect of trying to be concrete and direct and sensible and practical uh, in one's theory writing on the internet. And on the other hand, I think what happens if you refuse to try to embrace exit paths and model them and share them and conduct them with other people, you remain locked into this transcendental miserablest attitude. And I'm not necessarily saying angelicism is locked into transcendental miserablism. I, I don't know them well enough. And who knows, they could do it. They could veer off into any direction and go in any direction. So I'm not overly characterizing them as that. I'm just saying that there is a real risk, and it, and it seems like at least in some of Angelicism's writings, they are in fact trapped in this transcendental miserablest orbit or circuit where they see any type of clarity and actually trying to gain traction on how the empirical world works to model it correctly and accurately to actually empower yourself and other people to find liberation or empowerment or improved welfare of any kind, they do tend to see this as as somehow intrinsically biased or undesirable. And that's basically the gist of it. I don't want to totally belabor the point, but those are some of the big ideas that I present in this essay. And I go into a little bit the history of kind of para-academic left-wing writing. And something that I talk about towards the end is my own philosophy that I think is in strong contrast to the transcendental miserablest attitude, which again, I'm not saying angelicism is, is a total miserablest, but I, I do fear that they are somewhat captured in, in that orbit. But another thing that I talk about is that the whole one big problem with the schizo style is that you're not really able to build something big that could last forever and have impact. And so I forgive me, but this is something that I'm really interested in. I want to have influence. I want to be remembered. I want to build something that will last for hundreds of years. I want to, I want it all. I, I am ambitious. And, and, and I think that's good and healthy. I think if you are a thinker and you want to, if you write and you almost intrinsically, it's almost implied that you want to change how people think. And if you want to change how people think, then why shouldn't you want to change how the future thinks? To the maximum degree possible. I don't have any kind of like crazy delusions of grandeur. I, I don't think it's at all. I'm not saying I'm certainly going to, but sure. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's how I think about it. And you know what, actually, I just watched the Kanye documentary and now I'm like, actually, I have delusions of grandeur and I am, and I want to, and I, I want to go full out all in on uh, delusions of grandeur because it worked so well for Kanye. So yeah, part of me is actually, you know what, maybe I will have delusions of grandeur and I'll just totally say, 
fuck it, I'm going to be the this or that. But not honestly, it's not my, my personality really. So truth is I'm a modest, I'm modest, normal dude about my own work or whatever. I don't think I'm this, I don't think I'm God's gift necessarily, but I am shameless in saying that, yeah, I want to have long-term influence. I think any thinker or writer intrinsically should want that. And the problem with the schizo fashion right now is that I like all these people. Uh, no, I'm not throwing shade on anyone, but are you going to build something that is meaningful? That's going to stand the test of time. I really doubt that. And that is one of the one of the big problems and not because i'm not criticizing any individual's intelligence or shrewdness or capabilities whatsoever i'm just saying the schizo style is self-limiting in that way it, it refuses to be focused and compounded and you can argue that's part of its appeal you can argue that's why it's sexy and why it's got a kind of cool x factor and if you want to just go all in on that be my guest nothing wrong with that it's been tried many it's been tried but and some people pull it off. If you're going to be Arto, for instance, yeah, sure. Maybe if you're going to be Arto, you will produce a body of totally skitzed out ideas and you will still be read 200 years from now and you and your ideas will be studied and respected for they'll be mined with great dedication by readers for generations and generations to come. Yeah, Arto could pull it off. Maybe a few others pulled it off. So if that's your gambit, then all the power to you. And I would love nothing more than for angelicism to, to be that and happy to support. But the nature of this beast is that 99% of the young people who are writing and talking and podcasting in this style are never going to be read again. They're never going to be listened to again in the long-term future just because most of it doesn't make sense. And if you're not able to forcefully converge on certain truths and then compound them over time in a way that is communicable and and in a fairly timeless way, then your chances of ever surviving in the long-term meme pool is just much lower. Now, there, like I said, there's the path of Arto. There's the, there's, there are these other paths where you do it basically through the youth culture and through kind of sex and fashion. And that's like totally viable. If you can be enough of a superstar in terms of like being seen as a sex icon or being legendary and being so legendary in the stories people tell or the things you've done that are just dramatic or performative. Again, that is a way to enter in the, the human cultural canon and to stand the test of time. So I'm not, I'm not the grandpa here saying, don't be risky, don't be edgy. You know, that's not at all what I'm saying. People who listen to this podcast know me. I, that's definitely not me. I, I, I love the wild stuff. When I say it's a little too risky to go the full on skits out route. I'm not condemning risk or taking chances. Totally all about that. There's a much better uh, chance of success if one chooses rather to be radical and risky in terms that are transparent and open and direct. Okay. So you could say there's a kind of Apollonian riskiness. There's a kind of Apollo's edginess. And then there's a Dionysian riskiness or a Dionysian edginess. And they can both be equally radical and, and provocative and badass and impactful and cool and on all of those things. But I think in the, especially in the current context, where actually communicating with other hu human beings in a way that makes sense, connect with so many people and, and, and fundamentally help people in so many ways and allow a group to fundamentally create meaningful functional structures together. The payoffs to that are just so great. Whereas the payoffs to this like super hyper skitzed out style, the payoffs I think are just lower. It's going to last a much shorter amount of time. You're going to burn out unless you're willing to go balls to the wall, like someone like Arto. Even if you're willing to go balls to the wall and sacrifice your whole life on the altar of the skits, even then you still might burn out before you're able to achieve that cultural escape velocity. So. Yeah, this is a friendly quarrel between myself and and some of this some of these people in the skitzed out wing of contemporary culture, where I'm just basically saying I think I'm much more excited by the opportunities available to direct frank speech. And so I close this essay by talking about legible but imperceptible prea. If you've been following my work for a while, you'll know that one of the kind of key concepts that I'm interested in from the history of political thought, Foucault writes about it a lot in in 
regards to Greco-Roman culture, people like Diogenes, but also Jesus Christ, is this concept of pre, which is usually translated into English as uh, frank speech, but it's a very specific kind of frank speech, okay? It's basically being super clear and super direct to such an extreme degree that it starts breaking social norms and starts getting you punished more or less. Okay, so as Foucault uh, explains in The Courage of Truth, it has a certain key criteria. There's a certain set of requirements for paresia to function. And paresia is, in my mental model, the perfect keyword for this kind of Apollonian radicalism, this Apollonian cultural radicalism, which makes sense and is clear and direct, but it's also uh, chaotic and wild and truly unhinged and and radical. And it ha- but most importantly, it has demonstrable, predictable effects. Okay, so here I, I put in contrast to Angelicism's illegibility and, and lack of comprehension, the Deleuzian concept of imperceptible, which is not the same as being illegible. This is a conflation that I see a lot, actually, but these are just not the same things. To be imperceptible doesn't mean being purposefully wacky or obscure or hard to understand. It means, it simply means being so far down an independent path that one is speaking with perfect sobriety, clarity, and directness, and still people don't really even understand exactly what you're saying because you're so far down a truly independent path. That's the essence of, of, of what Deleuze means by imperceptible. So it's very different than illegible. And I just think that's a very subtle but very important and worthwhile distinction if you're interested in these questions around the criteria and the dynamics of radical culture and, and how things actually function or fail to function. So I think I've said enough about all of this. Yeah, I'm a fan of angelicism. <laughs> After all of that, I, I'm happy to count myself a fan. I like what they're doing and I hope it grows and succeeds and continues into something bigger and better. I just think that at a time when the skiz is becoming so popular, I thought it'd be fun to be the, the critical wet blanket who comes along and says, uh, yeah, it's not all it's not all roses and rainbows, really. There are actually big trade-offs, big problems, and big limitations with the radical Dionysian skit-style approaches. And I guess on, on some level, I just got a little tired personally of stuff that makes no sense, <laughs> basically. So I, I just made the, the crazy argument that maybe you want to actually focus on making sense. That could be interesting. All right, enough on that. Let me talk now about Milady. So... I wrote in this newsletter that I put out just a couple of days ago about many things, but one of them, the lead, the lead section in that newsletter was the Miladies. So yeah, let me talk about this. Oh, actually, before I forget, I forgot to mention this at the very beginning. I'm going to be in New York City for a few days around the weekend of May 20th. So if you're in New York City or in that area, I'm, I have some official business, like there's going to be events and stuff. I'll be speaking at some things or doing some things. I'll, I'll let you know details when I have them finally, but I'm going to be there for a handful of days. And may, if you want to invite me on your podcast, I'll probably come on. If you have a venue or you have something going on and you want me to give a talk, just let me know. Sign up to the newsletter and then hit reply and, and send me invitations or, or whatever. I'm happy to, I want to make a lot. Of, I, I have a little baby now, so I'm not able to travel that as much as I'd like. So if I'm going to be there, I want to go hard and yeah, just do get a lot done. So just follow the newsletter and I'll, I'll send things out if you want to come hang out. All right. All right. But moving on. So yeah, the Milady NFT collection is pretty interesting. Of all the stuff going on in crypto, it's the most, other than Urbit, it's the most interesting project in my eyes right now. And in fact, of course, the Milady crew is on Urbit, which makes total sense, similar vibes. I, and if, if you ask me, first of all, let me maybe show you. So this is what the Miladies look like. This is Milady. I, I have one. The price has gone up significantly in the past few days, so I'm like thinking about buying another, but I'm not that rich, so uh, I have to think hard about these things. I'm not a big baller yet, so I have to think hard about whether or not I can justify them to my wife when she starts looking over the finances. If, if I can say with a straight face that I spent uh, 0.6 ETH on a Milady, am I prepared to make that argument yet? I'm not sure that I am, but I want to. Yeah, so these are what they call like a neo-chibi aesthetic. I don't even know what that is. I do. It's like... Asian or Japanese or something. And yeah, so it's an NFT set of 10,000 and it's these like little Asian girls basically. And they have all different kinds of styles, all different kinds of jackets and some have face tattoos, some have different earrings. And yeah, so this is mine. I just bought the cheapest one when I decided I was going to buy one. I just bought the cheapest one and little chick with a, a Western jacket 
And yeah, so I bought it for 0.1 ETH two weeks ago. And now the floor price of the set is like 0.6 ETH or something like that. Not bad, about, about a 6X, roughly something like that. I don't know, maybe not quite that much. I might be rounding up, but okay. So why am I talking about this? Why is Milady interesting? If you actually go look into the gang and the community, they're, they're totally skitzed out accelerationists basically. And so I don't know too much about the, the founder of the Romelia corporation that does these, and I don't want to spread rumors or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to not say much cause I don't know too much, but I did when I did the podcast with Soph and we talked about it in, in there, if you want to learn more about kind of the vibe of Romelia, you should go listen to the other life podcast, like four episodes ago where we talk about it. And basically, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I, from what I gather, I think that basically the person who the founder of the Romelia corporation, I think is like a mad genius kind of person who I don't know them. I've DM'd with them a couple times, so I can't endorse them. I can't say anything good or bad. I just don't know them enough to say anything, but the vibe I get from the founder of Romelia or like the CEO of Romelia is just like some chaotic dark, mad genius vibes that I don't have to endorse or reject to say that this is, I think, the essential kind of dark truth of crypto. That is precisely the the truth of crypto that's being systematically underrated right now. now my, my friend, Jeff Lewis, the venture capitalist who is here in Austin, he and his partner are known for this term or this concept of what they call narrative violations. So his venture capital firm called Bedrock has this kind of founding manifesto that's all about what they call narrative violations. And that's their investing philosophy. They look for projects that defy some kind of dominant narrative. And it makes sense. And they, they explain how they think that through. But I like this phrase of narrative violation. And to me, the meta narrative of crypto right now is GM, uh, wag me, we are going to make, it's this like super happy-go-lucky, we're all going to get rich, we're all going to liberate each other, we're all going to be happy, and it's going to be perfect rainbows and roses, this crypto thing is just going to make everyone happy, it's beautiful and wonderful. Meanwhile, people are getting super rich, tons of back-channeling exploitation of public perceptions, people getting rugged uh, all the time, and so there's this super happy-go-lucky gloss on top of our still infantile crypto culture. And to me, the, the narrative violation of crypto is anything that points to the, the dark, unhinged, uh, maniacal, crazed, chaotic, and techno-capitalist intensity that is truly at the core of crypto, which is not a pretty thing. It's not necessarily uh, a, a bad thing. It just, it, it is what it is. And it's, there's going to be good and there's also going to be bad. It's going to be hyper intense. It's a hyper brutal kind of increase in efficiency and in, in the efficiency of capitalism itself. And so this is going to bring a lot of the good that's been associated with capitalism, but it's also going to bring a lot of the bad that's associated with capitalism. And the fact that no one in crypto is really leaning into and really embracing or expressing the dark side says to me that the culture is systematically overpricing that which is happy and rainbow colored and it's systematically underpricing the dark reality the chaotic realities the accelerationist realities and so to me this is nothing to do with some kind of philosophical endorsement i believe in this or i believe in that no it's just there is a technological reality and a social reality to the cryptocurrency revolution. A substantial part of that is fundamentally dark in nature. It's brutal, it's chaotic, it's uncontrollable, it's frightening. And therefore, you have to expect that a big part of crypto moving forward is going to be crazy people doing crazy things with some negative consequences here and there that are truly unhinged and truly crazy. And no one wants to talk about this right now. It's all roses and rainbows and GM and we're gonna make it. So I'm interested in anything that breaks that, that narrative of GM and rainbows and roses. To me, the Miladies are an example. If you go look at the community on Twitter or in the Discord, go look into the people who built it. They're explicit. They like danger. They like 
violence. They like accelerationism. They have this truly dark, twisted, antagonistic, highly pseudonymous, but also intelligent and sophisticated kind of hive mind insurgency against the status quo mentality that, again, I'm not saying necessarily that I like it because I genuinely think it's probably there's going to be weird things coming out of, coming out of it, maybe even some violence, maybe even some death. I, I do think that the, these are um, live wires in crypto culture that are going to happen eventually because crypto culture, crypto is crazier than anyone wants to admit. It's much more significant and more for the bad as well as for the good than anyone wants to admit. And so I am interested in that which breaks the narrative mold of crypto right now. I'm interested in the narrative violations in crypto that publicly represent the darkness and the chaos and the danger that is sure to unfold. And that's why I bought a Milady a couple weeks ago. I, and also because I got to meet some of the people and talk to some of the people and they just seem smart and they seem like they have the operational capacity to actually make this NFT set a big thing. Not financial advice, definitely not telling anyone to go buy anything at all. But these are the considerations that uh, went into my analysis of Milady and what I see with Milady and why I'm interested in it. That's a fancy way of describing my mental model, but it's probably at the end of the day, much more simple that they're the only NFT crew that I see talking about Nick Land. And if people are talking about Nick Land in crypto, I just have to give it a second look. And I think they're probably onto something because I think many of you think uh, Nick Land is probably the still to this day, to this moment, probably the, the single most underrated living philosopher, I would say. And I see these things. I see the correlation with Urbit as well. I think Urbit, by the way, is another kind of narrative violation in crypto right now. Not be, I, I think Urbit actually is way more positive and emancipatory and lighthearted than people think. But from the outside, from people who don't know about the Urbit culture, a lot of people still associate it with the kind of the controversies around Curtis Yarvin and the seemingly kind of dark image or reputation of Curtis Yarvin. And so it still fits into this portfolio of, of bets that I'm making around the dark underbelly of crypto because that's how it's seen still. That's how it's, that's how it's perceived. There's, in other words, I think a major bias in uh, contemporary culture, how the market perceives Urbit. There's a major bias that's leading the market to underestimate and underprice the value of Urbit. So yeah, I wrote a little bit about that in uh, this last Signs of Life newsletter. I also wrote this long essay, not super long, but several lines about uh, Bad Baby, the rapper Bad Baby. I don't know how many of you even know who that is. But as I said, I studied in, in the past couple of years, I've studied hundreds of commercially successful creators to understand the various different paths to power that people pursue. And this is honestly, I think, one of the craziest stories I've ever studied. If you don't know, Bad Baby was brought onto the Dr. Phil show at 13 years old by her mother because she was such a crazy youth. The episode that she was on, Dr. Phil, was entitled, I want to give up my car-stealing, knife-wielding, twerking 13-year-old daughter who tried to frame me for a crime. <laughs> okay, That's the mother describing Bad Baby at the time. Her name's Dan Danielle Brigoli. So she goes on Dr. Phil at 13 years old. And uh, she's basically just trolling Dr. Phil the whole time, like totally dunking on him. She's just a wild, she's a wild, ungovernable young lady, basically. And at some point, she threatens the audience with the audience is making fun of her, saying something about her. Those shows are cr so crazy, by the way. The whole Dr. Phil, Jerry Springer model is insanely exploitative and just disgust. I, it's insane to me that was ever a thing and that boomers thought that was like totally normal and cool to uh, bring on 13-year-old kids to a public television show and humiliate them like that should be like a capital crime that's just absolutely insane and psychotic and then the boomers look at the zoomers and they say that they say the ladies are psychotic the milady gang is psychotic dude dr phil and the normalization of absolute psychosis at the network news level is is, is the really insane and uh, dangerous thing in any event one of the famous things that danielle Bergoli says on Dr. Phil is she says to the audience, she, she says, catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> catch me outside. How about that? She like slurs it like that. Catch me outside. How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? And uh, she's basically saying, yeah, fight me in the parking lot. I'll fuck you up. And that went mega viral as a meme. And this was back in 2016. So not that long ago, but many, several years ago. And that meme went of her saying, catch me outside. How about that? It went so viral that 
she basically got a record deal as a rapper. The reason being that someone, a DJ, remixed her saying, catch me outside, how about that? He remixed it into a, a single, which went like to the top of the charts. And so an, an executive from Atlantic Records called her up like a few days later, and she had never made music before, she'd never rapped before, but didn't matter. They signed her to Atlantic Records. And then she made like some music or whatever. <laughs> she learned how to do it. And then years later, she went back onto Dr. Phil and she told him, she said, I made you Dr. Phil, you were nothing before me. I made you famous. And she's right. Like she became so massive from that one viral hit that it almost, it probably was the single most famous bit of Dr. Phil ever. So in, in that way, she's right. But anyway, she never let go of the Dr. Phil beef. To this day, she does video YouTube videos where she's talking about Dr. Phil this, Dr. Phil that. So she's milked that for all that it's worth. And she has she has platinum records. <laughs> like she's not, she wasn't just like a fluke. She made multiple records as a rapper and they sold well, which is just a totally insane story. And yeah, I think it's inspiring for people who are ungovernable, crazy people that this is a interesting path to, to totally dominate your haters and the boring bougie exploiters. Let them try to humiliate you. And then when you're on, when you're on their state, you just pull a Diogenes and you totally shit on them and then skyrocket to the top based on your ability to do that. It's, I think it's honestly a pretty cool story. And in my own way, I find it inspiring. Of course, I'm not a 13 year old girl. And I have no interest in rapping, despite the short-lived career of Lil JB. But I find that to be pretty inspiring. Anyway, I wrote about some other things. But like I said, I've been writing too much lately. I've been writing so much lately, I can't even fit it all into this podcast for the week. So I'm getting a little tired. I'm probably just going to wrap it up. But I want to remind you, please go ahead and subscribe to the Other Life newsletter if you're not already. That's where I publish my best stuff. And... It's growing fast now and um, I'm super pumped. So I'm all the good stuff and we have an awesome private community kicking. I, oh, that, that was the final thing I told you I, I would talk about before we wrap it up is the Urbic Group is basically totally kicking off. About two months ago, there were only about 500 people in my Urbic Group and two or three months later, there's now about a thousand. So in the past two months or so, two or three months, I guess maybe four, I'm bad with time, somewhere around two to four months, I've onboarded, not just given a planet to, but actually gotten into the group. So they're on the network and they're using it at least 500 people, maybe some more that don't show up in that figure. So my group has doubled in size in a few months and that now makes it certainly, I, I would say I, it's gotta be certainly the uh, fastest growing group. So it's pretty exciting. And what that means is we now have like a lot of people in, in the group where people are writing and I'm really beginning this process of over time, I am going to be distributing and decentralizing ownership of the other life community to the community. And so for instance, something I'll show you is that a few days ago, someone wrote in the, so the urban group has its own private group blog. So it doesn't go out to the public internet. There's a thousand people in the group. So you're basically writing to it. You have an audience of about a thousand people. Anyone can post to this group blog who's in the Urbic group. And what I've told the community is if I find something in there that's really cool and on brand for my audience, I might just take a quote or share it. I might curate it and post it to the Other Life newsletter. And what I said is if you post, if you write something in the open group blog on the Urbic group and I use it, I feature it in my newsletter, I'm going to pay you crypto retroactively. And to me, this is like a very exciting and that this is a very natural kind of next step to decentralizing ownership of the community. Because what it basically means is people in the group can just have fun, do think what they want, read what they want and write what they want, share what they want in the group. And just by having fun and sharing valuable ideas or insights or interesting content in the group. If it's really interesting and you're adding value to the community, to the urban group, especially if I can use it in some way, like for a larger audience, then you deserve to reap uh, the rewards of that because you're adding value to the group. So therefore you should, there should be value that accrues to you. And this one time I just threw the guy ETH, but where this really goes in the long run is um, I'm, I think I'm going to start paying in the community token, the life token, because then what that means is really pretty profound if you think about it, because what it, what it means is that if you're a writer or someone who, you know, just has interesting, crazy ideas in philosophy or social science or internet culture, the stuff that I write about that the group is implicitly organized around, you can basically just join the Urbic group, share everything you're doing, share ideas, engage in conversations, just basically live and think and have fun. And uh, if it's good stuff, then 
you'll get you'll be accumulating life token and if that group continues to get better because you're adding value to it then your wealth should accrue as well in the long term again this is not like a financial it's not a financial play it's not like a financial asset or a speculative asset or anything like that but that is the logic that and when you start thinking about how that connects with the er, the, the primitives that define urbit it becomes a kind of uh, very exciting almost to the point of you have to pinch yourself because think about it let's say i donate my star my urbit star that runs that basically sponsors all of these planets let's say i let's say i donate my star to a multisig that is controlled by uh, a sample of kind of leading members of the community and all the decisions about what to do with that star and the, the actual ownership of that star is owned by the the multisig so i don't i no longer own the star i no longer own the group it's literally a a group within the group that owns the group okay but decisions all decisions that are made for actually doing anything with the group could be subject to a vote by people who hold the token and at that point if you were to get if you were to get all of those parameters designed intelligently and correctly then you would have a bunch of people okay who own their own data they have complete control over their own data they have complete privacy they have crypto primitives built in for sending and receiving payments and the very real estate on which they do their interacting the actual group itself the ether through which people communicate and share value the social graph itself basically and its infrastructure would itself be owned by the people in the group in proportion to the value that they've contributed in the past only on urbit are you going to see communities that can say all of those things only on urbit are you going to have these truly and strictly community-owned communities where where the members literally own the very real estate that they're operating on living on and adding value to and so the tooling is not quite there to make this like super sleek or smooth or integrated quite yet but it's coming i have an episode coming out in the next couple of weeks about the dow tools that are being built on urbit so check that out if, if you want to know more about where this is going in terms of actual tools but to me this is like the most vertiginously fascinating and exciting opportunity for writers for creators for, for anyone who's an interesting intelligent creative person on the internet is whoever gets this right whoever's able to figure out a truly community-owned group where simply creating value in the group with words with ideas with blog posts or what have you can immediately and directly get you paid but also get you paid in a medium that itself the value of it increases as the group itself increases in value the alignment of incentives is just right there is just insanely perfect and tight that's just positive feedback loop after positive feedback loop where where incentives are are just like supercharged for basically people to just think freely think creatively write powerfully and and write honestly you get like a whole bunch of people in a group doing that where they're getting paid to do it and the value of that payment that they're receiving is itself increasing because the overall quality of the group itself is increasing that's that's a recipe for value creation that's just like mind-blowing <clears throat> like i said we're early no one's like fully figured this out yet but whoever figures it out on urbit is going to be i think light years ahead of anyone who figures it out somewhere else like on discord or whatever just because only on urbit do you actually own everything in the whole stack and is it possible for a, a, a DAO to, to own everything in the whole stack? Yeah, that's where my vision is going. That's really what I'm thinking about. That's the end goal that I really see for the other life community. Currently, I'm currently calling it the imperceptible country is how I'm, is the, the code word that I'm using for this project in my mind. And also in some of the public writing that I've been doing around this, it is actually something that you can check out. It's just a draft at the moment. It is actually open, but I'm rationalizing some of my other things and I'm not super hyping it quite yet, but the way I'm thinking about it is it's basically just the average Substack newsletter or whatever always has a paid option. And it's usually the way people do it is you, if you're paying subscriber, you get like an extra set of newsletters each week. Perhaps it's like more valuable stuff. It's private stuff or whatever. I don't really want to do that because like I said, I'm interested in sharing my ideas as widely as possible. I, I, I want to grow the audience. I don't really want to paywall like my newsletters. So what I'm doing is I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this vision of a, of a radically community owned community, a community that's truly owned by all of its members from the ground up completely. And I think that is really the most promising vector 
that leads towards this idea of network states and, and cloud countries. And to me, that's really the long-term vision. And I think my community is just insanely cool and, and, and badass. And I think my community, I think the other life community is honestly better positioned to create a new sovereign country than any, perhaps any other group or organization or cooperative right now, simply because if you look at all the other ones, like if you look at a city DAO or you look at Praxis and I like Praxis, I'm friends with those guys. I support Praxis. I think I'm a member of Praxis. And so I think many people are going to make great progress in this collective adventure of trying to form new sovereign political entities. But the big problem with those other organizations is that when you try to build a project around the concept of building a country, you're not really harnessing an organic, dynamic cultural energy, you're getting a bunch of people who are interested in a shared goal, which is great. But then you have this problem of what is really the underlying shared chemistry that's going to push them forward. It's hard to manufacture that and it's hard to find that. You can hope that you can brew it, but this is what I call the Web3 trap. I wrote this in a previous newsletter, this idea that a lot of the cool projects in Web3 suffer from this trap where it's because they're just trying to do cool thing X using web three, they, all they really get in terms of people coming out to do that thing is people who are interested in web three, but a bunch of people who are interested in web three are not like a powerful, like th that's not the kind of really powerful cultural uh, dynamic that you want. You, what you want is a bunch of people who are really interested in X, Y, or Z. And then they use web three tools to just supercharge the thing that they're interested in. And in my view, what is more powerful or exciting as a substrate for building community or building countries or building new cities? What is a better substrate than the basic commonality of just independent intellectual life or people defecting from institutions to pursue writing outside of academia? Like the, whatever it is you see me as representing or whatever, as the definition of the other life brand or whatever, it's something more or less like this. It's autodidacts and tr deeply independently minded people, whether it's PhD school dropouts or academic professors who <laughs> retire early like me to be a wild man on the internet or engineers who work for some fang company, but decide to quit because they want to build a compound on a farm somewhere. These are the types of people that define the other life community, basically. And all they really have in common is a strong desire for freedom, a, a deep seated need for intellectual independence and for working hard on uh, their own projects outside of institutions. That, and also like writers, especially kind of writers, people interested in philosophy, people with a kind of philosophical, social, scientific engineering bent. So. All the people in the other life community, the other life community was badass way before Web3 even came around. So Web3 is not one of our common denominators. It's not like uh, a Web3 circle jerk. It's actually people who are friendly and collaborating and writing things together, doing podcasts together, building things together already before Web3. And and they're doing so on, on shared values and shared attitudes that are highly scarce and valuable and powerful. And so I'm like, I take a step back and I really think about what I have with the other life brand and with this community, with people listening or watching or reading the newsletter. And I'm like, I actually think that uh, this other life community might be better positioned than any other group in the world to actually build the kind of social corporation of the future, the, the, the cloud city or the cloud country, the network state, whatever you want to call it of the future and unlock the value that only like crypto and urbit aligned incentive structures are going to be able to provide. I actually think we might be better suited and better poised to, to solve this puzzle, to solve this riddle and, and crack this code than maybe any other group in the world right now. I really, that might sound crazy. That might sound narcissistic or that might sound delusions of grandeur, but Hey, go watch the Kanye documentary. Sometimes you want to have delusions of grandeur. Sometimes that's just what you need. So this is what I've been thinking about. And this is what I really think is now in my mind, the most exciting and defining vision that I have for the other life community for Urbit and for, for not for Urbit as a whole, but for what I'm doing on Urbit anyway, for my interest on Urbit. And this is just what I've become obsessed with. And so it's a research project. Obviously it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of uh, tinkering and experimentation. 
but the code word for this project is Impercept is the Imperceptible Country. You can learn more about it at imperceptible.country. I'll be explaining more about how I see it working and designing it with you all over time, but you can technically join now if you want to. I, I just, I haven't really settled strongly on what the parameters will be and exactly how it will work, but it's coming more and more into mind, in my mind. That's a wrap. We covered the Miladies. We covered Angelicism. We covered... I'm going to be in New York on uh, May 20th, around a few days around May 20th. So get at me if you want to, you know, invite me to your podcast or you want to have a party or whatever. Let me know. And uh, yeah, and at the very least, go subscribe to the Other Life newsletter because I've been I've been writing a lot on there, and that's really the focus of that's the centerpiece of the whole community. So to stay tuned for everything, I really just encourage you to subscribe to the Other Life newsletter. All right, I hopefully will do more solo streams like this. I don't know how many I will do. Things are crazy with the podcast studio that we have now. Uh, so I'm just as always, doing too many things, but it's fun to do this every so often. Give you a personal update on a bunch of different things and talk about a few different themes. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you and I'll see you in the Urbic group. All right, folks, over and out.